0: Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, October 22nd, 2017. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, a couple years ago, uh, FoxNewsTravel.com ran an article entitled mythical monsters worth traveling for. And since we're getting closer to Halloween, I thought it would be fun to explore some of these creatures, which humans have been searching for for quite some time. Uh, We'll start with the granddaddy of them all, the Loch Ness Monster. This photograph, purportedly taken in 1934 by Robert Kenneth Wilson, fueled the world's fascination with this mythical creature. By the way, the photo is now considered to be a hoax... Here's the beautiful Loch Ness, where old Nessie supposedly lives. And I don't know if anybody ever saw the 2007 movie called The Water Horse. Wonderful, delightful little film that kind of delves into how Loch Ness, uh, the Loch Ness monster, may have uh, first come to be. Then, of course, there is Bigfoot, or Sasquatch. This simian-like creature is said to inhabit the forest, specifically in the Pacific Northwest. This is a still shot from a 1967 short film that was filmed in Northern California. Some claim it's Bigfoot, others, just a man in a gorilla suit. Uh, of course, now that uh, Jack Link's Beef Jerky has a new spokes creature, we all know what Sasquatch looks like up close. Um, but there's also a show on Animal Planet uh, in, channel entitled Finding Bigfoot. It must be popular because it's in its ninth season and they still haven't found Bigfoot. <laughs> Never give up, right? Never give up. Uh, next up on our search for mythical creatures, the ningan. I had never heard of this before I read this article. It's uh, Japanese for human. Sightings have occurred in the last two decades, the creature being described as large, white, and up to 90 feet tall. Purportedly, it's been spotted both uh, in the water and on ice. Uh, Some say it has arms and legs, others say it has fins, but you'll have to travel to Antarctica because that's the only place it's been sighted. Now here's another one that I'd never heard of before the article, Uh, the chupacabara. Its name in Spanish literally translates into goat sucker, uh, purportedly due to the animal's propensity for attacking and drinking the blood of livestock, especially goats. Now, physical descriptions vary, though some say it's a heavy creature about the size of a small bear with row of spines reaching from its neck to the base of its tail. It was first sighted in Puerto Rico in 1995, though it's also been uh, sighted as far north as Maine, south to Chile, and even in Russia and the Philippines. But if you ask a wildlife management official, they'll say it is an urban legend. I had to finish the list with the lovable Yeti. Right, The abominable snowman, this big ape-like creature, has supposedly been roaming the Himalayan regions of Nepal, Bhutan, and Tibet since 300 B.C. Their legend began growing in the West around the 20th century as more mountain-climbing tourists flocked to the area. Of course, those of us who are fans of the 1964 Rankin-Bass television special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, know that his name is Bumble... And those of us who frequent Disneyland's The Matterhorn Ride also know that the Yeti is alive and kicking here in Southern California. So welcome to the second week in a sermon series entitled Praying with Giants. And over the course of the next month or so, we'll be looking at different giant from the Bible, someone who's really bigger than life, people like Abraham, Moses, Solomon, Elijah, Daniel, and Jesus. And we're going to spend time each week examining one of their prayers, one of their conversations with God. And we'll see what we can learn about life, about faith, about prayer, just about being human. Today, we get to journey with Moses, a character that biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann calls the man in the middle. At birth, Moses was placed in the middle of the Nile River by his mother to protect him from immediate drowning, which uh, went against Pharaoh's orders. As a young man, Moses got in the middle of an argument between uh, an Egyptian who was brutalizing uh, a Hebrew slave, and Moses ended up killing the Egyptian because of that, and then had to flee into the mountains. In the larger drama of God, Moses was in the middle between God and the mighty Pharaoh, and time and time again, Moses uh, came to the leader of the Egyptian people asking for freedom from his own Hebrew people. Time and time again, Pharaoh denied that request. Eventually, Moses stands in the middle between God and God's people. And despite working hard to secure their freedom from captivity, the people don't take too kindly to Moses' leadership. They grumble, they complain, they whine, they challenge Moses' authority. They openly rebel against God, and Moses frequently has to cry out to God for help with these people. And occasionally, Moses even has to talk God off a ledge from destroying them, like... What happens in chapter 32 with the golden calf. When Moses led the people out of Egypt and across the Red Sea, eventually they made their way to the base of Mount Sinai, uh, where God descended upon the mountain in the form of smoke and fire. And Moses went up to meet God. Mono a Gado on the mountain, if you will. Uh, and that's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Plus 11 more chapters of commands and instructions for the people. And so by the time we get to chapter 32, Moses has been up there for 40 days. And the people are beginning to wonder, did he get lost? Did he wander off a ledge and fall? Is he ever coming back? They're anxious. They're antsy. They feel like they need a visible representation of God. And so they convince Moses' brother Aaron to make something for them that that they can look at when they worship the Lord. So, Aaron opts for the image of a golden calf or a bull, an image that was a symbol of faith in the ancient Near East. Traditionally, bulls or calves symbolized virility, vitality, and fertility. Well, once Moses takes uh, it out of the furnace, the people start celebrating, finally we know what God looks like, and they start worshiping. Of course, God was not very pleased with what was happening. He immediately tells Moses, that's it, I'm going to wipe them all out and start over again. But Moses intervenes on their behalf. He asks God for mercy, and God relents. Then Moses comes down from the mountain and uh, lets the people have a little bit of his mind, uh, starting with, first with his brother. And that leads us to the beginning of chapter 33. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up. You want to grab the, the Red Pew Bible in front of you. Exodus is the second book in the Bible just after Genesis. You can take out your phones and open your Bible apps. We're going to be in Exodus 32, beginning at verse 1. Exit, sorry, Exodus 33. Exodus 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Go, leave this place, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, and go to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send an angel before you. Skipping to the end of verse 3. But I will not go up among you, or I will consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. This is significant. Things have changed in the relationship between God and the people of God. God is still going to fulfill the promise that God made to Abraham that they would have their own land, the promised land. But God has had enough of their faithlessness. And now, instead of being there with them, God will send an angel. Because if I went with you, God said, I'd be so angry, I would just burn you up alive. And you have to to admire God's honesty right before Moses there. The people are finding out there's a fine line between resting in the shadow of God's presence and being consumed by God's holy righteousness. Moses' intercession has averted the immediate danger, but it may have cost the people dearly that God will no longer be with them when they go. An angel will stand in place. Now, a few verses later in chapter 33, we're told about Moses and the tent of meeting. It was the place where Moses would go when he needed to confer with God about something in the community. And the author of Exodus tells us that whenever Moses entered the tent, a, a pillar of cloud, which represented God, would descend and the Lord would speak to Moses. And verse 11 says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Which leads right into our passage for today. With the prayer of Moses that we'll be examining. Exodus 32, beginning of verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, see, you have said to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. And consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now, remember, we said last week, prayer is any conversation with God. In any place, at any time, with any words. And Moses has begun another prayer. One that will be vitally important to the life of his community. Boldly, Moses proclaims, see here. Not once, but twice. The the new revised standard uh, translates the second case, consider. But really, he's saying, see here. There's no, uh, uh, excuse me, sir. Moses is demanding God's attention. Moses knows his assignment. He's to leave Mount Sinai and lead the people to the promised land. That's that's given. But he also knows they face a a very serious predicament that God has said he's not going to go with them. And and, and of course, yes, an angel's going to come in your place. That's all fine and dandy. But I can't even handle these people myself. I need you to go with me, God. And so Moses begins this address by asking, who will you send with me? And if you say that I found favor in your sight, show me your ways because I want to align my life with your will. And and, and don't forget, God, that this ragtag group of incessant petty whiners are your people as well. You're the one that got me to go bring them out. And so in verse 14, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Well, (laughs) that was easy, wasn't it? Uh, God has evidently changed his plans, and now he agrees to send his presence with Moses. Literally, he says, my face. My face. NRSV adds the go with you. But my face will go. And it doesn't literally mean the face of God. It means God's accompanying presence. Just like when Moses spoke to God face to face, Moses to God's presence. And then God throws in a major bonus by saying, And I will give you rest. Biblical scholars tell us that in the ancient Hebrew, the original Hebrew, it indicates the promise of rest is for Moses alone. It's almost like God saying, you know, I owe you one. I know how frustrating those people can be, how many heartaches and headaches they've caused you. So I will relieve you from that and I will give you rest. But Moses isn't content with just this 12-word response by God. Verse 15, Moses said, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. I think this is awesome that Moses, who evidently uh, has no problem speaking very directly and frankly with God, wants to make sure that God is, in fact, going to go with them. Now, let me get this straight, he tells the Almighty. You say you're going to go with us, like you yourself. Are you sure? Like, pinky promise that you're going to be with us. Uh, because if it's not, then let's, let's just forget everything. Because I don't want to go if you're not going to go with us. And as cushy as God's promise is for rest for Moses, he doesn't want us to accept that blessing just for himself. He wants to make sure that God hasn't forgotten the rest of the people. Which is somewhat surprising, right? After all of the heartaches that they have caused him and the frustration and the grief. Nevertheless, he intercedes on their behalf. Verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And once again, Moses' prayers have come through for the people. God has agreed to grant his petition that God himself, no angelic representative, will go with them. The relationship that was broken because of that golden calf incident, just a chapter or so before, has now been dist- restored and all is forgiven. And you want to know why God forgave them? Aside from the fact that God is gracious and loving and forgiving. It's because of, well, for one, God loves Moses. But second, because they have a relationship together. Because God knew Moses backwards and forwards, inside and out, and Moses knew God. And so God chose to reveal his decision to his friend. It's quite a gift to know someone and be known by someone, isn't it? To know them in all of their glory and all of their messiness. To know the range of moods that another individual goes through. To know what makes them tick and what gets them ticked off. To know the things that make their heart sing. That's the kind of relationship that Moses had with God. Open, raw, honest, and one that was filled with grace. Who wouldn't want to have that kind of relationship with God? I mean, that's what I strive for. And friends, I'm here to tell you it's possible for all of us to have that same relationship that Moses had with God. Now, you may think, I don't really know that much about God. I don't spend so much time, you know, in church or reading the Bible or whatever. No, Any conversation you have with God is prayer. Any conversation. Pour out your hopes and your dreams, your frustrations, your questions throughout the day. You don't have to stop and close your eyes. Just lift up thoughts and conversations with God. God is big enough to handle anything we have to say, even when we're at our worst. But second, we get to know God and be known by God the more we spend time in the Bible by reading God's Word, by discovering how much God loves us. That's what scripture journaling is all about, and I know you've heard me say it over and over again. But scripture journaling is not reading the Bible for information. It's reading for transformation. It's reading the Bible devotionally to allow it to speak to you and allow God to, to change your heart and your actions. You, you just look for one insight and then allow spend some time reflecting on that. And if you're unfamiliar with scripture journaling... Outside in the back, in the, in the lobby, you can pick up a little starter uh, journal, or you can go online to com and click under uh, the I'm New link, and there's a whole page about scripture journaling. We'll tell you how to do it. And I cannot emphasize enough how wonderful it is to get to know God by reading God's Word. And then, after God's promise to be with the people, Moses says this, Show me your glory, I pray. Show me your glory. Show me your presence. I want to see you face to face, says Moses. I don't care about Yetis or chupacabra or even the Loch Ness Monster. You are the one I want to see, God, in all of your glory. And we give an amen, right? Because that's our prayer as well. Who wouldn't want to see God? Who, who wouldn't want to see God in the midst of this world with all of the ups and the downs and the frustrations? I mean, it, If only we knew you were with us, God. Haven't we prayed that before? Show me some sign that you are with me. We've all prayed that prayer. It's honest and real, especially when we're in the middle of very frustrating situations. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you the name, the Lord. So do you see what happened there? Moses says, show me your glory. I want to see you, God, face to face. And God says, I will show you my goodness. I will show you my goodness. God continues to tell Moses, you see, human beings can't see me and live. So instead, I will hide you in the cleft of a rock. I will shield you. And then when I pass by, you can see my backside as I go. This is where we get the song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. That's Moses tucked away in the rock. But I want to go back to this verse. When God says, I will make my goodness pass before you. Moses wants to see God, and God says, I will show you my goodness. What's the, what's the old saying? Never judge a book by its cover? I mean, unless it's a really good illustrator, and even then they could be tricking you. Right? Why is that? Merely by looking at the outward appearance of someone or some situation, you, there's no way to tell everything about what's happening inside. Now, God could have showed up in any number of appearances before Moses, but that wouldn't have told Moses what he needed to know, and that was, can God be trusted? Isn't that really what we want to know when we ask, give me some sign? How do we know we can trust you, God? And God says, look at my goodness. Look at the ways I love and forgive and heal. Look at the ways I reconcile broken relationships. Look at the way I reach out to those on the fringes. Look at the way I call people into relationships that bring life and wholeness. Look at my goodness. And when we get to those times in our lives and we just can't go on, when, when things just seem to be piling up on top of each other, And life is overwhelming, and we don't know if we're going to make it when we're overcome with fear or panic or uncertainty. Those are the times that we're crying out to God for a sign, right? Just show me that you're there. Show me what to do. And instead of giving us his glory, God says, look at my goodness. Wayne Cordero is a pastor from Hawaii. He was Jody's pastor when she was in high school. He did our wedding 27 years ago. He was in Southern California earlier this month. I had the pleasure of hearing him speak at a conference in Irvine. And Pastor Wayne said that we we all have one of two choices in life. We can either look for evidence of God's absence or God's presence. It's either or. And our eyes will see whatever it is we're looking for. Right? We can look for God's absence or God's presence. With all disasters that we've faced the horrific shooting in Las Vegas, the the pictures that are in the wall. It's very easy to ask, where is God? Where is God in the midst of all of this? But if we're looking for God's presence, we may ask a different question. Fred Rogers, from Mr. Rogers' fame, once said this, When I was a boy and would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. And I think that's what Pastor Wayne was saying when we're looking for God's presence versus God's absence. We can either focus on the troubles and the evils of this world, or we can choose to look for signs of God's goodness. Examples of people reaching out in love and sacrifice and concern and care because our eyes are going to find whatever it is we're looking for. I, for one, want to be looking for God's goodness. So what does this prayer by Moses teach us today? We who live in an entirely different world and context than Moses did. I think it'll be different for each one of us. You know, every Sunday morning before the services begin, I come in here and I walk through the entire sanctuary and I pray over every seat. And I pray for whatever it is that God is going to speak to each one of us that is sitting here. And I know it's going to be different. What is it for you this morning? Maybe it's the boldness of Moses, not to be content in simply asking for blessings for yourself, but interceding for a group of people that need God's blessings every much bit as you do. Moses could have easily taken God's gift of rest and relaxation and hit the ski slopes or some villa along the Dead Sea, but no, instead he calls God not to forget the larger community in which he lived. So how could your love for this community or this country or this world propel your prayers in the days to come, especially as you read the paper, listen to the news, or follow stuff on the internet? Maybe you've been impressed with the intimacy that Moses had with God, an intimacy that was spent out of time, lived together. Daily conversations about the joys and the struggles of life and how amazing it must have been for Moses to know and be known by God so completely. And it's possible for us to do that too. We have everything we need to begin that journey. It starts with the Bible. And my deepest prayer is that every one of us will grow closer to God through reading the Bible devotionally for transformation, not for information. Or maybe you just realized you're a kind of person that needs to train your eyes to look for God's goodness this week. That, that, that you've asked for God's signs or confirmations, for affirmation that God is somehow with you, that God is guiding and directing you. But today, instead, God says, how about look for my goodness my goodness is enough. Some people spend their whole lives searching for things like Bigfoot, or at least nine seasons searching for Bigfoot. We don't have to search that hard for God. All we need to do is look for goodness in the world around us. Show me your glory, Moses said. And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you. It is all around us, friends. That is enough. Thanks be to God for Moses, this prayer and the chance we have to live out our faith as disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen. As a postscript, I was told following the service that the proper pronunciation of the goat-sucking animal in Spanish is chupacabra. So for all you non-Spanish-speaking folks, you know.